Welcome to Eternal. Today we will dive into the life of an amazing human being where we will hear about the stories and memories that made them who they are today. Would you please state your name and today's date to get us underway? My name is Marie Ellen Temby. Today is the 12th of April 2022. I was born on the 17th of February 1967, meaning I am currently 55 years of age. I am sharing my life story with you today so that the younger generations in my family can learn about their family history. Good, Marie. Um, we'll jump straight into it. Just tell us a bit about your birth and your early childhood. Okay, so um, I was born in Port Augusta, as I said, in 1967. I was not a planned birth, but I was very much wanted when I was born. I had a good childhood. We were raised in a poor family and um, we moved to a small country town in New South Wales called um, Broken Hill. I lived with uh, five siblings. I actually had six, um, but we only lived with five. I always had someone um, to play with because our house was always full of family and friends. We had a small house, um, we so small that me and my three sisters had a, a very small room which is as big as my one son's bedroom these days and we had two double bunks in there so we each slept on a bunk and you couldn't even swing a cat in that bedroom. We had the boys had another bedroom and then my parents had a bedroom. We um, had an outback toilet. We had quite a big backyard but and the toilet was right down the back and every time I needed to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, I used to have to wake up someone from the family to take me down the back because it was a long way and I was kind of scared. We'd have a wood a wood stove oven and we used to have to collect wood to make cups of coffee, boil water on the stove and things like that. I remember our grandfather also lived with us back in those days and we had a little veranda and I really don't remember much more about him than the fact that he was always sitting on our veranda and watching us play in the front yard. Nice, nice. So moving on to your teenage years, so growing up, what was that? What was involved in those years? My teenage years were, were full of sport, actually. I had something every night, so it was full of um, school and, and sport. I didn't have uh, too many boyfriends back then because I was a bit scared of bringing them home to my brother, Mark. Um, I remember bringing one home one time and he shook his hand and and made some comment to him about him being a little boy. So I never brought any home after that. Um, I had a best friend in my teenage years right throughout um, was my, my friend that I had at the age of five and we're still best friends today so I've had her for all of those years 50 years I also had at the age of 13 at the beginning of my teenage years I met another really close friend who we've remained best friends right throughout as well um, she left uh, she left Broken Hill at the age of 19 and went to the States and married a a, a guy over there and they have three children and yeah, we've, we've remained friends for all of those years. The thing, probably the biggest thing to remember, a funny thing to remember in my teenage years is that um, when I left high school, my girlfriend that I was friends with for 50 years now, Sandra, we were skinny and small, the, the two smallest and skinniest girls in our teenage years, and we were in the itty-bitty-titty committee. So um, we left high school without having any development whatsoever so that was kind of something funny that we talk about. Okay um moving to your schooling slash education tell us a bit about your schooling years and if there was any further education in your life. Okay so yes I went to or did all my schooling in Broken Hill so I went to the Alma and Burke Ward Primary School went to the Williama High School which was uh, a bit unique at its in its day because it, it looked like a jail. There was no windows, so um, it was a pretty interesting high school to go to. I liked school. My favourite subject was maths and I think that was due to having a great maths teacher who is still my friend today as well. 
I never went to university because I didn't want to put the stress on our family because back in those days, when I come from Broken Hill, if I had to go to university, my parents had to pay for me to be a boarder um, in Adelaide. So I, I just never let them know that I wanted to go. So I left school at the age, at year 10, at the end of year 10, which is I think equivalent to a year 11 now. And I got myself a full-time job and put myself through, paid for myself to go through um, business college. Yep. So you mentioned before you had a very big family of six siblings, I believe. Do you want to talk us through a bit about your family and your siblings? And I'm sure there's lots of stories involved there. Yeah, it would take forever if I'd I'd, um, told you about all the stories that we have because, as you can imagine, there was many Um, So I'll quickly go through all the siblings. So I have Keith who is eight years older than me. He's a Jehovah Witness and he um, is married and has had no children. Then I have my brother Mark who is six years older than me and he has two children, um, Casey and Jake. Then five years older than me is my sister Lynette and... She has four children and her she didn't have a career. She was just um, – she just spent the life being a mother. Um, then I had Sandra and she works on the mines. She was a mother for most of her life and she has three children and she is the first one of all of us to be – to have great-grandchildren. So she was four years older than me. And then there was me – And then six years after me, with with also another unplanned um, birth, was my sister Fiona. And uh, she's been really um, pivotal in the real estate market. She's had some pretty great jobs there and she's worked over the years in the bakery for us. And she has had no children. Now, you might notice that's five. I did have six. So there's a little bit of a story there and that is that um, when I was 13 years old I came home and my parents, my whole family was in the lounge room and my parents told me that I had another brother and that he was in town and wanted to meet me and my younger sister and that was the first I knew of him. So he didn't grow up with us. My mother, I found out at the same time, had previously been married and um, they had two children and that uh, Tony was from that first marriage and that um, back then my mum was young and naive and uh, they sort of conned her into believing that she could only... They had to take one child each in the separation and she forever... Tried to keep in touch with Tony, but the letters never got to him. And um, But she kept all the letters that he sent um, to her. So, yeah, it was a little bit sad, but he came into our life at that point for, for a period of time. And, um, yeah, he wasn't – he didn't um, – he sort of settled back in a different state and we didn't have a lot to do with him after, after that. But – the childhood memories with us as have having all of us kids were, were great. We used to do shows in the backyard, so you can imagine with that many siblings and all of our friends, we could put on quite a quite a performance. And I remember that and I remember sitting under the stars, um, you know, as families and um, looking at the stars at night. So, um, yeah, just a little thing I put here with Fiona... Um, she's probably my closest. She's kind of like one of my best friends still today. But it's worth mentioning that we fight ferociously as sisters, but um, but we also love each other ferociously as well. So um, I, you know, we've been through a lot of tough times nursing my father when he was unwell, and now looking after my mother in later part of our life. So that's my um, family I grew up with. So then I talk about my mother and father. Yep. So um, a bit emotional um, talking about mum at the moment because she's really unwell. Um, Just in the last couple of weeks, it seems as though um, dementia's hit hard and fast 
and it's it's a bit tough going to visit her when she doesn't recognise who we are when you know that you're the one thing that she used to look get get excited about seeing and now um, if you take that away from her that's pretty tough. My mum was an amazing lady. She was always working. She was always washing, cleaning, ironing, doing cooking, um, always doing things for her family. Um, she was selfless. She also had took up lots of second second jobs. Or I always remember her doing party plans or or you know anything she could to to be able to send us kids on our sporting trips or buy us our basketball uniforms that we needed. She probably is the kindest person I know. She was always kind to everyone and family were everything, everything to her and she didn't really have much else either but um, she, didn't, she didn't need it. Um, yeah, like I said, she was unselfish. She sort of looked after all of us. Then um, my older sister Lynette couldn't look after her daughter so mum then raised her. Then she looked after my father because he was sick and um, and then she got sick herself. So mum's story isn't a great one, but I guess along the way she had lots of great moments. So then talking about my dad, my dad was a boxer. Uh, he worked on the mines and he was a pretty good painter around town in Broken Hill. He had a good name. He was also a bit of a larrikin at the local football club and he was the football runner and he used to bring us home um, back then, I don't know if they still do it today, but they used to have chewies. The runners used to take chewies out to the football players while they were playing and Dad used to bring home a bucket load of juicy fruit um, chewies at the end of every Saturday game. He was a good father, but he did drink a lot. Um, and like I, I think I mentioned earlier in, when I talked about the family that we had lots of fond memories on our lawn where we'd watch the stars and Dad would always make up these funny stories about the mosquitoes flying in their helicopters. He made up lots of really far stretch stories but they were really a lot of fun and we loved them and we used to encourage him to keep telling us more of them. He was sick majority of um, my teenage years and he got terminal cancer um, and had 12 months... Um, to live and we had moved him when he was sick and he lived down the road from us so those 12 months were pretty special because I got to know a lot about my father things that that he didn't share but because we had the time and I'd sit go down and have breakfast with him most mornings and just sit on the bed he got to tell me a lot about his his life things that I didn't know before then so my mum's mum and dad, they separated. I don't remember them ever being married. I remember Nana having a, a partner who was, um, in our eyes, they were, he was quite well off and he travelled with Nana all around the world and um, Nana went to all these amazing places and she used to bring us all of her granddaughters. There was a few of us. She used to bring us home a doll from everywhere she travelled. And granddad was a famous boxer called Archie Tyler and um, there's a few stories about those and hopefully my brother gets to sit on here and share those stories because he knows them a whole lot better than what I do. And my dad's mum and dad, he was estranged with them. as She, um, she died earlier and he went to live with his auntie. I never met um, his mother because she, yeah, like I said, she died early but mum always said that she was the most beautiful lady Granddad, I met him in my late teens, I think it was, and um, he died when I was about 35 years old. So now I'll just talk about my um, immediate family, yep. which is um, my husband, Kim. He's, um, we've been together now for 37 years. He's my soulmate. He supports me in absolutely everything I do. There's nothing that he... He won't allow me to try and sometimes um, they're pretty outrageous some of the things that you know I want to get involved in but he never ever stops me. He's been a great provider for our family and he's been a wonderful role model to both of our boys. So then going on to our boys, talk about Nathaniel. So he's my oldest. 
Um, he's a pilot and he got his licence before he got his driver's licence. Uh, he went to Wagga for 12 months to do his training and is uh, a Rex pilot and works for Pelaire. He's been a goalkeeper um, for most of his um, growing up school school life. He was in the first inaugural Adelaide United um, squad and that they put together in under 12. He was a state goalkeeper and he travelled overseas um, on a goalkeeping tour at the age of 12. He used to study hard and um, Nathaniel was someone that you never had to tell off. All the teachers would say that everybody that comes across him. If I was to describe him, I would describe him as stoic and confident. Um, then I go to my tailor, who is um, an entrepreneur. We always knew he would be, and um, from a very young age, eternal is his baby, and he does that with his um, friend Tom. Taylor's great at all sports, anything he does. He's, he was a state soccer player. He moved to um, football at, at an age where soccer just wasn't keep, give, keeping his passion alive. And in the first season, he won the club, I think it was under 16, he won the club best and fairest and also his age best and fairest in his first year. Uh, Taylor didn't like school, but he loved going to see his mates and the friendships that he made there because he used to think he didn't like learning things that you wouldn't use in life. And ironically, he was super smart, but only if he implied, applied himself to something and if he loved it. TT was a bit of a bugger, but not in a bad way. He's confident when he's comfortable and he's shy when he's not. And if I was to describe him, I would say um, he, that he was a, a deep thinker. Um, yeah, so that is... Oh, no, no, sorry. I've got a little bit more that I'd like to speak about. I was going to speak about... Um, Oh, yeah, so we've always trusted our boys because they've always told us the truth and um, we're proud of both of them and the men that they have and the values that they both live with and they love each other, which is just wonderful for us. The best moment for me was standing either so with the boys standing either side of me, towering over me and saying we love you. I used to dream about that day and then it's only happened once but for me it will last a lifetime. So then the immediate family, I thought I'd quickly talk about their girlfriends. So Nathaniel has Hannah and she's uh, an occupational therapist. She's beautiful. They've been together for six years. She's a hard-working, strongly independent and caring person to everyone. Family is very important to Hannah and she's a great partner. It's the first time that I realised what it feels like to not be number one in your children's eyes. So um, in a different way, I guess in a different way, but um, I'll talk a little bit about that when I talk about my in-laws, I guess. Um, then there's Taylor has his girlfriend Emily and she's um, studying still at the moment. She's a, a bit younger and she's studying to be a nutritionist and uh, I can say that mostly what I've said about Hannah is very similar um, uh, with Emily. They're, they've They've got lots of the, the caring and the family important things. The thing about Emily is that her personality is similar to TT to Taylor, um, and we quite often see things uh, Emily carry out things that Taylor would do. Um, she's a great balance um, for Taylor. So both girls are fantastic partners for our boys, and and we love them. Who knows what the future? will hold, but if they are both in it, then we'll be very happy. And then I've just got here my yep. relationship with my in-laws as well, so yep. I thought I'd add them. So Rosemary is Kim's mother and uh, it's a bit of a funny story. She made it hard at the start and, you know, when I first met Kim, I was he, he was a bit of a funny character and he had lots of girlfriends and his mother wanted him to stay that way for a while. I guess, looking back so that she could hold on to him longer. And he told me to ring on a Wednesday night and I was a bit keen so I phoned on a Tuesday night and she managed to tell Kim that I was a bit keen. I'd rang a night earlier 
whilst having me on the other end of the phone letting me hear that story. So that was kind of funny. And I always have the story that the first time that I went up to their house, Kim hadn't described or said anything about it. And I remember driving up there and back then um, not even having shoelaces in my shoes because it's a bit of a trendy thing to do and pulling up their driveway in this most amazing house, which was like a, a mansion and getting off the back of the motorbike with hair just everywhere and meeting these really well-to-do um, looking parents and coming inside and sitting at a formal table and she dished me up spaghetti and I thought that it was a cruel thing to do because I'd never eaten spaghetti in my life um, without cutting it up. My mum used to just cut it up and we'd just pick it up with a fork. I'd never twirled. So I spent the whole evening twirling my spaghetti but not eating any of it. So that was it was a bit like that for a little while but we're very close now and, and she loves me and I love her and, you know, we overcome some hurdles at the start. But looking back, I can see and she, she tells me it was all about losing, losing her son um, and he was her number one son so I guess that was hard losing any but that was, that was how she, she sold it to me. Then John, um, Grandpa, he's... Uh, He's always kind and caring. He's got the biggest heart and he would do anything for his family. And uh, I guess, yeah, we're, we're very lucky. There's, there's no um, – everyone just gets on great. So that's – I think that's it for most of the family. Yep. So your sports and hobbies, you mentioned earlier sport was a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us a bit about the sports you played and any achievements you got in them and, yeah, just a bit about that. Okay, so yeah, I did play a lot of sports. My mum always encouraged us to, to play sport and um, I'm, I'm glad she did. So I played indoor soccer, indoor cricket, netball, hockey, um, but basketball, there, there probably wasn't a sport that I didn't have at least a season in, but basketball was my biggest passion and I played that well into my late um, 20s. I got to district level here in Adelaide and um, probably... A highlight for me was playing on the main at, at the powerhouse when it when it first opened as an opener to the uh, to the big game, so there was a big crowd. Um, I didn't really have any hobbies to be honest. I was just busy being a, you know, doing doing sport. And until um, later in life, when I picked up um, trying to learn the guitar, something which I'm still trying to learn. Yep. So for work, what what were the first sort of jobs you got? Any what were the major jobs you had in your life? And yeah, just talk a bit about your jobs. Okay, so I started work really young. So I started at the age of fourteen, and my first job was at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I learnt pretty early on how to give um, good customer service and. Uh, I can't remember, I think it was called the Golden, there was some Golden Award which was given out and, and I won that, um, which was it was pretty exciting at the time. I then, I said how I left school at Year 10 um, and I worked in a cafe in Broken Hill called the Mercado and I saved for that, um, for those 12 months so I could pay to go to Adelaide um, to go to business uh, college I do have a little story about the Mikado and that is my claim to fame is selling Mel Gibson a chocolate thick shake. He came in, they were filming Mad Max in Broken Hill and the film crew come in and um, I was the fortunate, the lucky one to, to serve him. So that's a claim to fame for me. Um, I worked when I was doing business college in Adelaide. I worked for Artura Taverna, which was a famous uh, hairdressing salon here so I was doing that whilst going through business college and whilst I was doing that the local hairdresser in town in Broken Hill back where I come from rang me up and offered me a hairdressing apprenticeship so I went back and started that um, apprenticeship but one day I was washing an old lady's an elderly lady's hair and when she got up I had saturated her dress she was saturated right through and I had to blow dry her her dress before she could leave and 
it just put me off of hairdressing and it was quite timely for me because at that time a Hague's Chocolate in Adelaide had actually contacted me and um, had asked me to come in for an interview, which I did, and I worked at Hague's Chocolate um, where I'd go to work every day and the... um, the guys out in the factory, the chocolate makers, would put a little chocolate on my office desk every day. I'd turn up, they'd put something different there. So I worked for Alistair, Simon and John Haig. And um, whilst John Haig didn't have the easiest reputation of someone to get on with because he was a pretty hard businessman, I actually loved him. And, um, I, you know, he taught me about being thorough with your work and not making mistakes because if you got a mistake, he'd let you know. So from there, um, I went and worked in a couple of architects' offices. Uh, that was being the secretary for them. Then I moved to St John Ambulance. Listening to it all sounds like that I did it, that I've worked at a lot of places, but I worked at St John Ambulance for seven years before we purchased our first Baker's Delight store back in, and that all led up to... 1995. So in 1995 we bought our first store and then a couple of years, a few years later we bought our second store. So I don't need to say a lot about what happened in that time because I've written a book and so that is covered for the future generations. They can read and they can hear about our path through that. Then I studied to be a marriage celebrant, I've been doing that as well as working at Baker's Delight. And then I've also um, gone down a coaching small business and entrepreneur path and written an online course. So that is my work. Yep. So by the sounds of it, you've had a lot of influential friends in your life. If you don't mind to elaborate on some of your best friends and the memories you've made with them over the years. Yeah, look, there's so many people that you come across in your life and I thought about that as I was writing this question down and I thought there's there's just too too many because, you, you know, you, they're still still all of our life and they come across at certain times for certain, um, certain reasons. But I guess Sandra being my lifelong friend, I think she's worth mentioning. Um, you know, we've spent our life together so she's you know, been around as long as my my sister. We would do anything for each other. I told you how she was my partner in the Itty Bitty Titty Committee. We would always compete year in, year out for the Best and Fairest Award in basketball because she was pretty good at basketball as well. We used to, we have fond memories of going to the holidays in the snow with big groups and um, have a bit of a funny story about that too. Like Sandra has always... She's she's a very good skier, but she always used to brag about how good she was. So one time when there was about 20 of us going away, unbeknown to Sandra, we we um, really hyped up that this other guy that was coming with us was an excellent skier and we set up this race one day and we bought 20 white overalls for everyone to wear. Sandra knew nothing about it and um, just one lunch day we just turned up at the cafe for lunch and... All of us turned up in our white overalls and we'd set up a, a racetrack for her. <laughs> and um, it was just really funny. And we went out, all went out onto the... Everyone was watching us. We went, went out onto the mountain and um, set Sandra and this guy at the top. She was nervous because she thought he was a really good skier. But uh, we put it was a real steep little slope and we gave him one big push and he's never skied before. <laughs> but he beat her down the bottom... Um, yeah, anyway, it was a really, really funny story. Um, guess you had to be there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so then Anne Carr, I'll talk about her. We left, I'll, I'll try to be a bit quicker. We left Adelaide. Um, she left Adelaide at the age of 19 and went to the States, married three kids. We used to visit each other alternate years. She's an inspirational friend. Um, we push each other in our business and positivity and everything else. So, um, you know, we like to, to keep in, in touch. Got the Halls, who we spend um, every Christmas together, holiday in Bali. Um, we're lucky we've got Cooks and Staniskis who have river have had river shacks and a farm that we've been able to have lots of wonderful holidays with our kids growing up. And so they've shared that with us. And then I've got my one girlfriend, Mary Lamont, who um, we met and every year 
I see her only once a year. Um, our birthday's on the same day and we go to the same place at the same time on our birthday for breakfast every year. She hardly knows my boys as far as seeing them, but she knows everything about them and I know everything about her life just through that one catch-up every year. So that's pretty important. Then I've got the Cormacs who pack hot cross buns and tarts with me every year, my girlfriend Kat, and then there's staff who have grown up who are now friends um, with us because they're closer to my age and I'm even a godmother to little Harvey who was Renee's son but I've got Chrissy and Renee who are very close to us as well. So, yeah, that's – but like I said, there's too many friends. They all have their, their place, old and new. Yep. Um, moving on to your love life. You've said a bit about how you didn't want to bring many boyfriends home because you were scared of your brother. So if you want to talk a bit about that and how you met your now husband, Kim. Yeah, okay. So um, only, I only, like I said, only had a couple of boyfriends prior to Kim and none of them were serious. And I remember when Kim met my brother, he used to want to fight everyone. <laughs> he used to want to fight anyone that was my um, boyfriend and... We met him at the Padawalunga, which just happens to be down the road from where we live today. And one thing led to another and Mark pretended he was having a muck around fight with Kim just to sort of show a bit of, um, I don't know, muscular, I don't know, just power or something. And they got into this fight and ended up in the Padawalunga and um, Kim actually managed to stand up to Mark and... um, and they were pretty even. So I think from that day on, uh, Mark thought that he was a pretty good uh, partner for me. So he didn't hassle him after that. So, And it just so happens that I'm still with Kim all these years later. So I met Kim. We were out at a – we went to a nightclub. And when Kim tells his story, it is going to be a little bit different to mine. So that's also something that we joke about over the years, which story is the real version. But I was out with a girlfriend from work and another friend um, and we were at this nightclub and there was a whole group of us girls, it was a farewell and there was two guys at the bar and they were both pretty good looking and one of them happened to be Kim and Frances really, really liked uh, the look of Kim and she wanted to go up to the bar and get a drink and she wanted me to go with her so um, I did and she wanted me to buy the drink, so I pushed through with her money and there was a whole empty bar, that part's true, <laughs> and I went through and um, bought the uh, – as I went to buy the drink, um, France Kim uh, boldly said, and I'll have a scotch and coke, and I turned around at Frances and she said, yes, buy it. So, um, And I said, well, that will cost you a dance later with Francis. And so he agreed to that. Francis agreed. So anyway, later in the night, um, Kim came up to ask me for a dance and I said, oh, no, that was um, Francis. But Francis was doing something, so I, I thought I'd go out and have a dance. And while we're on the dance floor, Kim went to kiss me and I, like, pushed him away and said no because I knew my girlfriends would all get upset. Anyway, I went back to my girlfriends and none of them talked to me. So it was really um, kind of horrible because I was, you know, I, they were all Haley's friends, not mine. So I thought, well, if you're not going to talk to me, I'm going to go and sit and talk to Kim and, and his friends. So I spent the, the um, evening with them and took Kim's phone number and, yeah, the rest is a, a long story but... After 12 months together, Kim sent Francis a, a rose saying thank you because um, if it wasn't for them all ignoring me, I wouldn't have um, got to to get Kim's number and spend the night there talking to him. Kim um, is a rom- Most people wouldn't know this about him. Um, he wrote me a lot of love poems early on and he sent me um, a tape... He used to send me lots of tapes with songs on them, but a particular tape with a Jimmy Barnes song, song I'd Die to Be With You Tonight, because he used to live away. He used to tell me to to play that all the time when he was working away. Had a green motorbike and used to um, have a green motorbike jacket and had this long um, blonde hair and is, um, looked pretty good in, in that. Um, we moved in together pretty early on because I was living down in Adelaide and he kind of already moved out of home because he was working at the um, 
was living at Roseworthy and coming backwards and forwards. We've had a lot of fun together um, over the years. Um, this is going to sound a bit corny, but I did know it was love because every time he'd come around, um, I experienced like butterflies and I you know, felt nervous whenever I saw him. It was different to how I felt about other people. At 10 years, I said to him, um, we still weren't engaged or anything, so I said, marry me or um, ask me to marry you or I'm, I'm going to move on. And it worked because not long after that, he um, asked me to marry him. We've um, achieved a lot together, but nothing has been more important than our two boys. Yeah, yep. that sums it up, I think. Oh, nice. So let's now dive into a bit of travelling and what kind of adventures you've been on in your life. Okay, so when I was young, I only ever travelled with my family. As I told you, we were poor. We used to all load up in the red station wagon and um, listen to Olivia Newton-John and um, sing in the car. Back then, we didn't have... We didn't have... Um, Seatbelt, so four of us kids would sit in the back of the station wagon with pillows and um, a pile of, like, a, I don't know, games or something in the middle of the car. I don't know how we um, could have fit, but we did. That's what we used to do when we used to travel. So um, so we used to go to the zinc mine in Adelaide and we used to do that once a year. So that was our family as, um, growing up. So I didn't... I hadn't been on a plane until I first met Kim at the age of 20. Um, at, the, at the age of 20 was the first time I was on a plane. So, But since then, um, Kim and I have travelled around Australia and the world with our boys, um, the highlight being travelling um, business class on an Emirates flight and taking our boys. That was pretty amazing to be able to do that with them. We've been to America, Europe... We even went to Lapland and took the boys to see Father Christmas. Um, that's probably the highlight of any of the trips I've ever had was being able to, to take them there. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, that's probably it for holidays. Yep. Uh, let's, let's now talk about some of the highest and happiest moments in your life. When would you say you felt the happiest? Well, definitely the happiest um, was the birth of both of both of my sons. So I've I've listed about um, about eleven of these things. Yep. So yeah, we can go through them all. Okay. So yeah, the first one up the top is the birth of both of our sons. Um, our wedding day that was pretty special, and um, you know that's definitely a high. Buying our bakeries, um, buying the first one, and then buying the second one. You know that was. Um, probably something that was kind of a bit of a dream but came to reality. Writing my book and it becoming um, a number one international bestseller, Simple, Soulful, Successful, that was that was a high moment, um, one where I could actually show, show my boys that I'd always talked about writing a book and um, it was good to actually have it and be able to physically hold it in my hand. Um, number five, hearing my boys tell each other that they love them, um, that they love each other. That's that's up there. Um, like I said before, with them standing there with their arms o around me and telling me that they love me. A high moment was when the boys got their first car and both of them were Jeeps. So that was um, also a high moment. Up there and, and recently, buying the River Shack for the family, That's that's a very surreal moment. And it's one that I believe is going to keep our family um, closer and together for for the rest of rest of our lives, and and hopefully for all the people reading this, who knows, one day they might be sitting at uh, sixty six River Lane and listening to me tell stories, um, and the rest of the family tell stories. That that's kind of a bit emotional thinking about that. Um, watching the boys achieve everything they have in their life and they've they've achieved much. Um, you know, we're pretty proud of them. So also our Christmas tree um, tradition that we do with our family, that's a high moment. I do that once a year with the family. We buy Christmas tree decorations from wherever we have travelled. We buy three of them and um, every Christmas we have one night where we have to tell a bit of a story about 
where we've travelled and that keeps the memories alive. So that's a high moment for me once a year that comes around. Anytime my boys are happy I'm uh, is a high moment for me, seeing them smile and, and having a good time and um, just being with family. They're, they're my highest moments. Yep. Um, now we kind of kill the mood. What's yes. your lowest and saddest moments in your life? Yeah, um, I've got a few of those written down too. And um, yeah, it's, I, I guess losing baby Jay. I had a, a son in between um, Nathaniel and Taylor and um, he didn't make it all the way, but I had to give birth to him and, and hold him, um, baby Jay. So uh, that was, you know, one of the hardest moments is going into that, that scan and um, being excited with Nathaniel because Taylor wasn't born at the time and sitting there and hoping that he'll see the scan of his little brother um, beating life and um, he saw it and we're all pretty excited but we knew something was wrong and then they went away and came back with our news. So that was, that was a pretty tough tough time to to go through having a baby and giving birth and then not being able to take him home so uh, you know I that's that was one of the saddest and also there's death of um, loved ones I think everyone experiences um, them as being their saddest and lowest times we've had some we've had quite a few um, you know big ma papa my father my sister's first husband Trent and recently Kim's brother who's worked for us for since we had the bakery um, since day one and um, he passed away in December um, this year. Brett and I are the same age so that's, um, yeah, that was, that's pretty tough. That was a low moment. Um, so not only did we lose a family member but we lost someone who had held our hand through the business through all those years. Um, another... Saddest moment is when my sons are sad and I can't help them. Um, they're dealing with something and I don't know the answer. That always makes me feel sad. Um, sorry. Uh, thinking that we couldn't take the boys on their biggest overseas trip, the one I talked about earlier, how we ended up being our best holiday, I think, um, taking them to Lapland and seeing Father Christmas, that holiday... Um, nearly didn't happen because it was the year that um, my father was sick and I spent a lot of my time taking focus away from the bakery and um, and we were also renovating our house at the time and it was a pretty pretty tough year and we were hitting some financial issues and it was probably seeing Kim for the first time um, being upset was um, was tough knowing that it, we, we might, may have had to tell the boys we couldn't take them on this holiday that we'd talked about for most of the year. But we decided that we would do it tough and not tell the boys and that we would go away. And when we travelled on that trip, we shared our meals. The boys never noticed some of the things that we did. We um, we shared our meals. We, we drank water most of the time. We made sure that they didn't miss out on anything special. But when I say share meals, Kim and I did um, – and yeah, we just didn't waste any money, and we actually came back with with some, which was which was pretty amazing. And yeah, it it ended up being the best trip because we actually really had to think about everything that we did, and we made sure that anything that was worthwhile that we got them to do it because we weren't going to travel that far and not do that. Um, so then I've just put some other things were when moments when we felt like we may lose our business, um, and there was a few so. There was tram tracks at our Glenelg store. They actually um, closed down the road out the front of the shop, so we lost a lot of traffic from one side of the road. They couldn't get over. Um, then, as I mentioned, when my father was sick, um, financially that put us in a little bit of crisis. There was a major fire in the shopping centre at Mitcham and we had to. Um, we were about one of the only few shops left and we had blockards out the front of the shop and we had to run bread out to customers in the car park and we wore t-shirts thanking customers for supporting us during that time and we actually survived and we saw survived and came out the other end um like a head so um baker's Light had stepped in and helped us through that time as well then there's covid when covid first hit that was a um 
a low moment for us. I remember sitting down on, I've got a bit of a bench that we go down and sit and watch the sunset um, at home. I remember sitting there with Kim and him saying, putting together, painting the picture of what COVID could do to us and our business and that we had to be prepared. And um, that was a sad moment, but I thought I'm not going to let that, um, I'm not going to let that stop us. And I was trying to like, show positivity right through it and fortunately through us Touchwood at this moment we've um we've done well um you know the business has survived through it and sadly some of our friends that hasn't and some shops around us that hasn't um but all of those moments I guess all of the sad moments show your strength and show you what you are um what you can um, move through. Oh, actually, I've got a few more. Um, yep. Nathaniel, um, when he got meningitis, um, I remember racing, he had a bad headache and racing him to three different hospitals, trying to get a hospital that would take him and, and um, he was just had this bad headache and I was I really had lost it, how I didn't have an accident driving that day, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so that, that was pretty horrible. He had... Um, that and he had had a bike accident where he had gashed half of his face out and um, sitting with him in the hospital with that was pretty terrible as well. And then same for Taylor. Taylor had a, a serious concussion on his very – in the last few seconds of his very last game of football that he ever played for the school and he got um, one of his close friends' knee actually went into his head and you could hear it from the sideline and he went down and he wasn't moving and everybody thought the worst. So that was that was a low moment, very scary. I couldn't even run on the oval to him. Um, I was a bit scared. And, and also when he was young, he fell off a monkey bar and snapped his arm um, totally and it had the bone had actually got stuck on um, one of his arteries and in the ambulance they were talking about um, he may lose his arm if they didn't get um, do surgery as uh, as soon as possible. So that was pretty – that was a crucial moment as well. So um, – and I guess the saddest moment is right now we're going through with, um, with my mother and um, going hopefully um, – hopefully not – too quick but it, it's already happened quick with the dementia set settling in so yeah they're they're my saddest moments that i could come up with yep um we'll try boost the mood again what are some of your biggest achievements in your life our boys <laughs> who they are and who they've become um writing writing my book um showing people that anything is possible um and you know that um, being on Amazon and hitting bestseller. Nat graduating as a pilot. Um, Taylor building his eternal business. Our bakeries being number one and number two for different promotions over all of those years. Um, building our store and not only building it but keeping it at number one locally for over 27 years. Um, I'm proud of the partners that my children have chosen. Um, yeah, so that's that's probably that's a good handful of things I'm proud of. Yep. Now, are there any stories you would like to pass on? Anything that you've missed or anything that comes to mind or have you kind of covered it all? I've got just a couple of little ones. Yep, just go a, for it. Yep, so um, just, I just thought they were little fun things like, when we used to live in a unit when we were young, um, I don't know if, if people are listening, no neighbours, but people used to think that Kim and I were Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan, the people in our blocker units. Um, also that we used to live in cheap houses um, with outside toilets for most of our life when we were together um, to save money for our first home. We used to live in um, places that other people used to say, why, why were you living that? Just that we've done things hard to get where we are, things haven't fallen on our lap. Like we've, we have worked hard and you know lived in houses when they've been renovated and, um, you know, uh, we've done yeah a lot of lot of things that other people probably wouldn't have wouldn't have done and have chosen not to. Kim has always worked out a way to get what we wanted in life and um, hasn't always been the easiest way, but he's worked at 
worked out how to get it. So um, another thing is that Nathaniel thought that we owned the shopping centre at Mitcham because when um, I would work there all the time and Kim would bring him in to, to visit us um, and that I, I remember him wanting to play with Taylor the day Taylor came home from hospital and we'd have Taylor in the capsule because both our boys spent their time going travelling around with Kim in the capsule and Nathaniel just wanted to play with him and would jump over the capsule and I'd always be in fear that he'd land on Taylor. Taylor, as a young boy, was a playing machine and always wanted to play games the whole time. It probably hasn't changed too much and he always liked to be the winner in all the games as well. And if you ask him, he still is the winner or he is the winner. Um, Nat always had little accidents uh, when he was little and we still joke about that. We've always told the boys um, the truth whenever they asked any questions, even if the answers were a bit tricky, regardless of what it was. We always, um, Kim always told me that we had to tell them um, the truth. So um, I think that's been good because it also opens it up that they have to tell us the truth. One little story is um, where the truth, I think, the fact that we trust our boys is that um, one time our boys were all playing cricket in the front yard and um, they heard a, a, a smash and it was the next door neighbour's window smash and um, it, they also heard, our boys heard a car go past and anyway, our boys, the neighbour was a bit scary next door and he came out and he like yelled out over the fence and our boys ran and hid down the side of the house and um, because they were scared and um, he came over and told us that and I think Nathaniel went out and talked to him and he said that he wanted to speak to Kim and I so and to bring the boys over so we took we talked to the boys and sort of said come on boys you're playing cricket even though the ball was going the other way and did, did you do it? Did you throw the ball? Did you hit the ball over the fence? And they absolutely told us with all honesty that they did not do it. And so we went into the house next door 100% believing that our boys did not um, do it. And we sat in the lounge room where this guy questioned our boys and and they were young at the time. And I know that he, you know, he didn't believe them, but we did a hundred percent. And um, I just um, later in life, I um, he separated the next door neighbour separated from his wife, and um, yeah, she used to she told me some stories uh, about him, and and it was really nice to hear her say that um, she never believed that it was our boys either. So um, yeah, that's just a little little story about um about the truth yeah mm -hmm. so now we're coming towards the end i was wondering if you were to sum up your life in just a few short words or paragraph how would you sum up your life i would sum sum it up by saying that i had a happy childhood i had a fun adulthood full of so many different adventures i had i did um so much. I had a lot of overwhelm um, in the, some of the best times of my year, uh, some of the best times of my life during having my family and having the two bakeries. I discovered um, balance and happiness in my mid-40s and now I'm getting to the closer to the end of the, my life than the start and I'm planning to have a busy but a more relaxed, successful and happy retirement with all of those that I love. Yep. Moving to some final questions that we finish each interview off with. Mm -hmm. So the first one, what do you believe the purpose of life is? I'm not 100% sure, but I think everyone does have a different purpose um, and it's to learn as much as we can about things that we're passionate about. And then once we learn it, about sharing it with as many others as we can who, um, who we think it can help. Yep. If you could pass on one piece of advice or a lesson that you have learnt, what would it be? My advice would be that anything is possible unless physically it's not. So um, be the best version of yourself, believe in yourself, be positive always, even when it's hard. Don't carry fear with you because we're all the same and you'll find your crowd. Um, be patient but keep moving forward. What is your biggest regret? 
My biggest regret is not finding life balance earlier and not knowing the answers at times for my sons. If you could go back in time, what would you say to yourself? I'd say the same that I'd say to other people and that is anything is possible and trust it that if you believe it that you can achieve it. Yep. So now we're at the end of the interview. Is there anything else you'd like to add in or? I, I would actually. Yep. Um, I've just, um, I wanted to talk about something about my personality that um, probably later down if someone in the family has this and want to know where it comes from, they might know that it comes from, from me, is I'm a big believer in um, and law of attraction and manifestations and I kind of keep it hidden a bit but those really close to me know that that that's who I am and the reason I keep it hidden is because people think that you're a little bit crazy. I'm not one of these law of attraction people that thinks, oh, okay, I see that house, I'm going to manifest it and I'm going to have that house. I believe that you have to take the action, um, you have to believe it, but you also have to take the action to actually receive it. Um, so I just thought I'd write down just write a few and then talk about just a few of those little moments and one of them is um, the first time I, I, I read uh, I watched the movie The Secret and there's a book about The Secret and um, one time we were coming home with um, from a holiday with my um, children and I talked a lot about The Secret and I was saying how I didn't know the law of attraction like I do now I didn't know about the action I did just think at that time I was one of those that believed if you think about it hard enough it will come true so the boys actually were in the back of the car and they said oh mum if you really believe it like when we get home like can you manifest that there's money in the letterbox or that we that there'll be money there for us or something and so I said yeah of course I can confidently thinking that something would happen and um, so I said it, Kim was in the car and the two boys were there and we were driving home and um, when we pulled up I thought hopefully they forget just in case it's not there and um, I got out the car and I went straight to the letterbox and I opened the letterbox and there was a cheque in there, there, an anonymous cheque to me for $2,000 and um, I, I said to my family like here it is here it is and and to me that was one of my first moments now looking back we don't know where that check come from we we contacted it was part of someone had left it um in an inheritance we think and we tried to chase up who it was so it could have been my dad's father we're not sure but it was there so that was my first sign I also had vision boards for my boys which would sit above their bed and um when they were little, they used to love the vision board because they would strive for the um, to be in the under-12 soccer team, in the under-13 soccer team, under-14, and they'd strive. And as they achieved all the things that they wanted to achieve, we would sit on the end of the bed and we would tick it. And that was always exciting. But when they got a bit older, they didn't want those on the back of their vision boards, on the back of their um, rooms, as you can imagine, being teenage boys. So... Um, Nathaniel always wanted to be a pilot. He came home from school after year 10 and so I stuck a photo of a pilot on the back of his bedroom door and Taylor wanted to own a river shack. So I stuck a photo of a river shack on the back of his bedroom door and Nathaniel became a pilot and that was sitting on the back of his door for like four years before he got it. And we just in October last year, bought our river shack and um, we actually um, bought it in Taylor's name, which was also pretty um, ironic that that was sitting on the back of his door. There is another twist to this story, though. The, um, the river shack photo that I had printed out five years earlier, um, Taylor had his girlfriend over and he said, made a joke to her that, um, isn't it funny that mum put a picture of the river shack that we actually bought on the back of the door and um, Emily took the photo and sure enough, five years down the track, the river shack we actually bought is the picture that I had put on the back of Taylor's bedroom door all those years ago, the exact same river shack. So they're pretty incredible um, 
manifestations and the the river shack the pilot nat put all the work in so he took the action to become a pilot the river shack we we searched we looked we worked hard we saved we we took the action to have it so that's where you know the difference is between um you know what you believe and what you don't but i get signs all the time and i don't even share them um because sometimes they even scare myself yep well i think that is all for today lovely hearing you and hearing all the stories and memories that make you who you are today hopefully this uh, recording gets passed down through generations and helps connect your family for an eternity thank you Taylor and what a wonderful thing is that you're doing so thanks for your time thank you